Hey ladies, how you doing out there, you gangsters and you senior citizens of the world? I just want to let you know that I'm here. I'm starting my new podcast with Anchor. It's free, so I thought, why not give it a try? There's creation tools there that allow you to edit your own podcast right from your phone or computer. And Anchor will distribute my podcast, so it will be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many, many more. You can also make money from your own podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place, at home. During the coronavirus epidemic, this is where we're going to be. So, it's a mandatory call to action that we... Take anchor. More helpful at preventing me from expelling droplets that might expose other people. We know that COVID-19 is a really serious and potentially lethal disease. And anything that we can do to prevent transmission uh, should be encouraged. Well, there are a lot of uh, different recommendations out there about face masks for a number of reasons. One is that there really isn't any conclusive data that they make a big difference. I think surgical face masks may have a little impact, but the impact is hard to measure. There's a concept evolving in which masks really don't work well in the community as personal protective equipment. But if everybody wears them, they become community protective equipment. Uh, and that's something that we're really just starting to, uh, to wrestle with uh, in the United States. Yeah, there's recent research from, from China and Singapore, for instance, that has estimated that up to as many as about 50 or even 60% of transmissions of infection occur from people who are still asymptomatic. Uh, and that was one of the reasons, I think, why the Centers for Disease Control change their tune about masks. Wearing a mask sends that message of, yes, we are all, this is a pandemic situation, this is something to take seriously. But it could also send a message of, oh, well, I'm protected, so I'm going to go out and do my own thing and get on with life. I think, I mean, and that is, I think, the reason why policymakers have been quite reluctant to recommend mask wearing is that it might affect social distancing negatively. Yeah, another worry is that if you're using a face mask and you're getting the, the mask contaminated uh, from other people and you're not infected, that then when you handle the mask, if you're not careful, you could transfer, get the virus in your hands, and then if you forget, and rub your eyes. So there needs to be an education campaign connected with use of face masks. Because there's a global shortage of masks, we should be reserving them for the healthcare workers. In that case, then cloth masks uh, might be the, the best option overall at the moment for general public. I get emails from colleagues who are very much concerned about homemade face masks because they're worried that they may not work and they may encourage people to take risks that they shouldn't be taking. So in 2008, we did a study that was published a few years later looking at homemade face masks. We wanted to know whether or not they actually worked at all. The surgical mask performed by far and away the best of all the materials that we tested. Um, and then we looked at sort of more common kind of cotton fabrics, t-shirt fabrics. And they had a sort of variable filtration efficiency between 50 and sort of 70%. 
The addition of a mask might provide an additional benefit, but it's also going to have probably a marginal effect. And there's increasing numbers of studies showing that it can be detected in the air in small micro droplets. And homemade masks and surgical masks are not going to do anything for you if that is the risk you face. It's very clear that once we start coming out of lockdown, we start having to go to work again, you will come across situations where you are going to be unable to have social distancing. Uh, if you don't have a mask on, then you're pretty naked as far as protection is concerned. But if you have that mask as well, then that's going to give you that added protection. I think it'll be interesting to see whether or not widespread face mask wearing will have an effect on the reduction of the incidence of the, of the virus. I think that remains to be seen in this thing. So, basically, the best thing we can do to protect ourselves and protect other people is for everyone to wear a face mask of some sort. But the best face mask would be a surgical face mask or one that's designed for that. However, if everyone is wearing some type of garment across their face to keep the droplets in to themselves, then we're actually protecting the community. We're protecting one another. You understand? So for them to say that a face mask, like a bandana or a piece of material, is of no use is absolutely wrong. It's how you use it. We must remember that once you take it off, it has been contaminated. Throw it in the trash or immediately wash it when you wash your hands and sanitize your hands before bringing it into your home or around other things that it may touch. And also remember that the virus is well attached to your shoes and the bottom of your shoes. So if you do go out in public, if you feel like you need a face mask or some gloves, then absolutely you need to take your shoes off before you come in the house or you need to disinfect your shoes before you come in the house like using a can of Lysol would be great Lysol you can send that box to bossladyinc at mail.com oh okay (laughs) and so with that being said um remember that a crowd of 10 people or more is more dangerous and that's obvious also there were um, statements saying that six feet away from another person would be safe but that's not true you need to stay at least 12 feet away from another person and again remember Every time you go out and touch something before you bring it in your home, try to sanitize it or wash your hands. You know, don't bring your shoes in the house if you don't know where you've been. And even a surgical face mask is not meant to be used and worn over and over again, which is the problem with the doctors. How can they continue to use these face masks from person to person, from place to place, from day to day? They need to change them constantly. As much as they wash their hands, they need to change their face masks. So, yeah, we want them to have face masks, but we need them too. 
So I don't know where they get this shit at. Like, all the medical staff are going to be protected and all the rest of the people die. What the fuck we need them for if we're going to save their life and not our own? They can knock that shit off. But um, with that being said, I also would like to add that they're giving this money for unemployment and Social Security and people that haven't worked but they have essential workers that are still getting the same amount of money that they've been getting paid. So now the essential workers are like being treated like crap, paid garbage, and half of them are dying because they're essential. And the people that don't, that aren't essential and haven't worked are at home kicking back on government money. I mean, I don't mind. I appreciate it, but I'm just saying. And before you say anything else I work in the restaurant business so you gotta eat so I'm kinda stuck somewhere in the line of is a hamburger essential or or not but um, anyway with that being said be safe, keep your social distancing and try to stay home as often as possible Rest in peace, Olivia de Havilland, 104 years old. This is Cadillac Didi, Dear Didi of Wheels 2000 Magazine and Boss Ladies Magazine representation of women who refused to stop writing. Successfully sued Warner Brothers. Almost no actor ever took a suspension. It was such a frightening thing to do. She took them on because she felt what was unfair was a contract that could keep you in bondage to a studio for many, many years. It was a major victory for actors' rights at the time. Also legendary, her rivalry with her younger sister, celebrated actress Joan Fontaine. But when Fontaine passed away in 2013 at the age of 96, the Havilland said she was shocked so and saddened. both sisters almost made it to 100, 104, 196. Wow. That's awesome. Just before her 101st birthday, she was named Dame Commander of the British Empire, royal recognition for one of Hollywood's gilded leading ladies. Rest in peace, Olivia. So... Okay, it's me. Some of you call me Cadillac Didi, some Dear Didi, some Didi Girl, and some Debbie. Today we will be talking about the infamous, immaculate King James Baldwin. Now, James Baldwin is a well-known author and activist who was around... We could say in the days of Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, and some before him. James Baldwin was an American novelist, a playwright, an essayist, a poet, an activist. His essays are collected in Notes of a Native Son and explore intricacies of racial, sexual, and class 
distinctions in the Western society, most notably in regard to the mid-20th centuries in the United States. James Baldwin was born August 2, 1924 in Harlem, New York. James Baldwin died December 1, 1987 in St. Paul, France. He made movies, I Am Not Your Negro, If Bell Street Could Talk, Where the Heart Is, and many more. Short stories like Sonny's Blues, The Rock Pile, and Going to Meet the Man. Many, many more. This historic legend, James Baldwin, was one of the most, if not intellectual, prolific speakers I have ever heard in my life. And I believe that his activism equaled that of Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, and the, the likes of those Abernathy and Jesse Jackson, those who walked with them. So, with that being said, this series on 2020 Vision, The Wall of Moms, will begin with my interviews of the dead soldiers. That would be Maya Angelou, Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, James Baldwin, Muhammad Ali, Huey Newton, Tupac Shakur, and those people such as myself, African Americans who were caught between the end of slavery and the beginning of COVID-19. Are you kidding me? That nothing has changed over these years? That I have to actually have go back in time and have live interviews with dead people just so you can understand what is going on today, what has been going on for years, and what will be going on tomorrow if we don't make a change. Okay. With that being said, without making this segment about myself, I'm going to move forward. What I have here is going to be a speech or an excerpt of speech from James Baldwin. Once you hear him speak, you will understand why I have chosen this man, this African American man, this black man, this proud black gay man. For my first subject. Um, as taken from Bob Adelman's um, Magnolia pictures, there are days, this is one of them, when you wonder 
what your role is in this country and what your future is in it. How precisely are you going to reconcile yourself to your situation here and how you are going to communicate to the vast, heedless, unthinking, cruel, white majority that you are here? I'm terrified at the moral apathy, the depth of the heart, which is happening in my country. These people have deluded themselves for so long that they really don't think I'm human. And I base this on their conduct, not on what they say. And this means that they have become in themselves moral monsters. Now that was a quote from James Baldwin who made his somber observation more than 50 years ago. I include these words in my film, I Am Not Your Negro, which implored Baldwin's searing assessment of American society through the lens of assassination of three of his friends. His friends, Medgar Evans, Martin Luther King Jr., and Malcolm X, as I stated earlier, This is a film that cruelly shortens time and space between acts of police brutality in Birmingham in 1963. That's the year I myself was born, 1963. So, again, this comes from a person trapped from the... Now, remember, in 1963, slavery was not abolished. There was still slavery. So, with that being said, um, Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, Medgar Evans were friends of James Baldwin's. So, he did and was a great part of the movement at that time. His movement was different because possibly... Because he was gay. However, his words were, if not sharper, definitely conveying the same message. If not stronger, because now today we find in 2020 with President Trump running the country that the government is still killing systematically black people. Even after the George Floyd and the Breonna Taylor and the young man with the Skittles and the Arizona tea and the hoodie, the same exact thing that James Baldwin spoke of 50 years ago is now happening today. And I would say more than 50 years because... They're saying this is in 63. Well, I'm almost 60 years old. So, it's going on 100 years of this crap in my family. Because, hey, I'm a kid, but I still have my father. I have my grandfather. I have my uncles that went to Vietnam, that were on the streets of Compton, California, and Watts. Those are the ghettos for black people uh, in those days 
I'm different a little from the ghettos for Jewish people. Um, so with that being said, this series is not only dedicated to people like James Baldwin, Tupac Shakur, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, Maya Angelou, and many, many more, many more, whose names I will mention in upcoming episodes, and we will talk and discuss, and we will speak to the dead. I will interview the dead. So, with that being said, thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode, which will be my live interview with James Baldwin.